Let's pray together. This side of heaven, Father, we're <laughs> we have to admit that uh, there's storms. Can't run from them, even though sometimes we try. Ultimately, I don't believe you want us to run from them. You want us to stand or kneel in the middle of them, recognizing that you're there with us. And that where God is, there is hope. We recognize that this time of year, as we enter into the holiday season, On the outside, we want it to be everything that commercial Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, all the trappings that make it so wonderful and joyous, and that's what we want it to be, but in reality, because it is, uh, these are these are holidays centered around family a lot. There's a lot about family for many of us that's not real comfortable. Father, during these days especially, we would ask that your spirit will be so real and so close and so powerful inside each one of us. We who claim the name of Jesus as adopted sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, would you protect us from falling into the traps of that, that Satan, the enemy of our soul, who would try to convince us, come on now, that's not real. Why even try? Why, why, why go on? Holy Spirit, you are the author of hope. You are the author of victory. You are the author of transformation. You are the one who tr brings true joy in the middle of whatever we're going through. And, and for the most part, we are going to make this season the best that it's ever been for us. We're going to choose to walk into it and we're going to thank you and we're going to celebrate our families our love for you and our love for them, our love for our friends as we gather together. And we're not going to allow Satan to drag us down into whatever that it would be that would try and destroy that. We're trying to diminish the reality of what you provide for us as your kids, as your sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. As we've sung this morning, the reality that you came to pay the penalty <coughs> for my sin. And because you did that, you paid the penalty on the cross, but more than that, you rose from the dead. You beat sin and death itself. And because you did that, you provide for me, for every one of my brothers and sisters here, for anyone who will come to you trusting you for hope, 
for transformation, for victory. You provided that rock-solid assurance that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Not just in heaven, but today, right here, right now. That's what we choose to live, and that's how we, we hang on to the, to, to the hem of your garment, Lord Jesus. Just as that woman who had the issue of blood, who had suffered for so long, being rejected in every part of her life, but she sensed that there was something different about you. And so she took that chance of just touching the hem of your garment. And you freed her. You didn't just heal her, you did that. But you freed her from that which had held her down for so many years. It would be my prayer, Father, in these coming days, weeks, as we celebrate the good news that you stepped out of eternity and into time and became one of us so that you could die for us. But more than that, so that you could live for us. And because you live, we can live. I, I would pray, Father, that that kind of focus, that kind of hope would so infiltrate everything that we do, every relationship that we have, whether they're positive or negative, whether they're joyful or painful, but that reality of your hope and your joy would season every thought we have, every emotion that we have. That when we wake up in the morning that we would see the joy of your salvation. That we would know the victory of what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, how we love you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for making yourself so available to us. We open ourselves up totally to who you are and what you want to do in us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's children say, Amen. 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 God bless you. Worship team, thank you. Wow. Well, uh, I needed that this morning. My goodness. Next week, we start our Thanksgiving celebration. We've got something. I, I've, <laughs> I kind of came up with the idea a few years ago because I kind of got tired of doing Thanksgiving services like I'd always done Thanksgiving services. And uh, so next Sunday, we've got something really special. <laughs> you want me to use another one? We've got a, a new mic coming for me. It's back ordered, okay? This old one is doing that. So I suppose I get to hold mic today. All right. This is the one my wife used, so it's a little bit short. <laughs> But I like her that way. You know, <laughs> uh, so next week, you know, the traditional Thanksgiving services 
we come and, and I give you opportunity to, to give testimony to what God has done in your life. Verbal testimony. I understand that for the majority of us, speaking in public is one of the most scary things that we can possibly imagine. And to think about doing that in church, you have got to be kidding me. How many of you grew up with the old testimony service on Sunday night or Wednesday night or whatever? And uh, yeah, and they were wonderful to a certain extent, weren't they? Except that the same person said the same thing every week. God doesn't change, we understand that, but uh, uh, we're going to go beyond that. I will give some of you opportunity to give verbal witness next week, because some of you need that, and I want to give you that opportunity. But there's at least two other ways, three other ways, really, that we're going to be entering into uh, gratitude. I'm going to give you at least three different ways to express your gratitude personally, without saying a word, okay? So this is gonna be next week. I really hope you'll be here. It's gonna be a very special time. I, you know, and if I can't convince you to be here for that, there's gonna be great food afterwards, all right? So it's one of the reasons we do that. Jeff, you're gonna make it for the food, right? Okay, yeah, okay, good, good, good. I'm, I'm glad. We'll, we'll get you here one way or the other. So. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet to let us know what you're going to be bringing, there's sign-up uh, uh, things on the back table there. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving celebration in every way next Sunday. So that'll kind of kick off your celebration, and then as you're with your family and friends after that, during the week, it's going to be really special. Well, uh, you're very well aware that we are in the middle of a pastoral transition. And uh, we have what's called a transition team. We have now met twice. Kathy, would you come, please? And uh, uh, we want to keep you appraised of what that transition team is dealing with, at least in, in skeletal form and outline form. And so uh, every uh, our, our meetings generally will be the first Tuesday of the month. And... Uh, we're going to just kind of give you an idea what we've been doing, what kind of things we've been addressing. Uh, we've just kind of been getting things going right now. But, uh, uh, Kathy, would you share with us, what have we been doing? Well. And you got to get it close, okay? <laughs> Eat that thing. All right, 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 okay, good. Like Pastor John said, we've had two meetings. Um, we have not gone over any potential pastors' <coughs> names at all. We haven't gotten that far. Um, we haven't even quite addressed what attributes we're looking for in our new pastor. This whole transition should take, you know, nine months to a year, so probably the end of summer, fall of next year, we'll have somebody to introduce. Um, basically, what we've been doing is learning about each other on the transition team to see the best way for us to work together. Um, we've taken some personality tests. Um, we've determined, for example, the colonel likes to see the big picture of things. He's a big picture guy. I'm a detail person. I put my little blinders on and I just do my little detail work. Um, and you also need people who can do relationships 
with other people, of course. Pastor John is a relationship guy, obviously. So at this point, we're trying to figure out who does what best so we can put that together. The last meeting we were discussing small groups because a lot of churches use small groups. Um, but small groups don't always bring in new faces. So we're trying to figure out how to not only incorporate small groups, but to bring in some new faces because probably 75 or 80% of Sedona doesn't even know we're here. I mean, we have such a kind of isolated location. We're not on the main street. So we need to get our, our name out there a little bit and bring some folks in to see what we have to offer. So that will be on the table, I think, for our next meeting next month to get that started. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Gabby. Yes. There, there really is so much uh, to, uh, to work with, to anticipate, to try and understand. And you've got to be able to work together as a team and know each other's strengths. So as Kathy said, that's, that's really what we've been doing. And uh, because this transition team will be a working team, okay? Uh, and ultimately, we're gonna be including as many of you all as are capable and are interested in being involved in uh, getting down and dirty and starting to do some stuff. So uh, I am really looking forward to what God has for us. And uh, this is an exciting process. <clears throat> Last Sunday, we started addressing this issue of holiness for ordinary people. What does that mean? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm not going to go all, all back over what we talked about last week. But last week we did uh, kind of examine what I call the treasure chest of, of holiness. Uh, it's full. This treasure chest of holiness is full of God's absolute best for you and for me. His ultimate desire for every one of his human creation is this holiness, whatever that might be. But the scripture from Old to, to New Testament talks about his holiness and how much he desires that to be our experience too. It is, in it is our ultimate joy and fulfillment and purpose. Uh, in, in it is a moment-by-moment -moment life of, of complete love for God and for other people around us. The key to this treasure chest is desire. Uh, we, we've got to want it. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, this right relationship with God and with those around them, those who want that as desperately as they want food or water, what's going to happen for that person? They'll be satisfied. God will give it. This is what holiness is. It's God's ultimate desire for us. He wants to give us nothing more than this. Uh, so, so what is the problem? Well, part of the problem with this treasure chest of holiness is 
that uh, as beautiful and as appealing as it is, at times its contents kind of scare us. It's not unusual for that which we don't understand very well to kind of intimidate us, to bring a fear response. So what I wanted to try and do today, and uh, probably we'll, we'll pick up back after the, uh, uh, the holiday season together with this, but uh, I, I really want to try and dispel some of the mystery surrounding this, this holiness treasure thing. So this morning I want to answer, try and answer some frequently asked questions about holiness. The first one is obviously, what is holiness? You may say, well, that's a well done. And it probably should be. But again, I don't know that it's something we really wrap ourselves around in our, certainly in our experience, but let alone in our understanding. Holiness is loving God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, depending on how you're wired temperamentally, one part or the other of that holiness issue, loving God and loving people, one part or the other is probably easy and the other part's difficult for you. For some of you who are uh, very gregarious, outgoing, sanguine type personalities. Uh, it's probably the, the loving people thing is, well, I got a handle on that pretty well. Uh, I, I do pretty well in, in treating other people with love and respect and being concerned about them. And, and that, that's really not an issue for me. Whereas, believe it or not, uh, as an introvert, that's the very hardest part for me. First part, loving God, that's the easy part. That, 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 that is between me and Him, and oh, we have sweet times together, but, but then every once in a while, in fact, quite frequently, His Holy Spirit says, John, but what about so-and-so? And I go, oh. <laughs> So depending on how we're wired, the loving God or the, and the loving people, one or the other of those is probably almost natural to us, and the other part is quite difficult. But they must be together. Jesus didn't say one or the other, he said both. This is what righteousness, this is what holiness is. And this love is all about that relationship between me and God and those around me. And this, this, this holiness is both a state of being and it's an action because love is not complete until it's acted upon. Whether it be my love for God or my love for you. It's really not complete until I'm doing something about it. And of course, Jesus is our ultimate example of holiness. Therefore, to be holy is to be like Jesus. And the, the way Jesus loved the Father, there was absolutely no disconnect between Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, 
and the first person of the Trinity, the Father, or the third person of the Trinity, His Holy Spirit. There was no disconnect. But there was also no disconnect between Jesus and even those who spat upon Him and whipped Him and rejected Him. And, and those for whom he probably at times despaired. Will you ever get it? There was no disconnect between Jesus and his Father or the people around him. That's what holiness is. And that's what God wants for us. Every one of us. Let's go to another question. And, and I've heard this either expressed explicitly or implicitly time and time and time again. The question would, would basically be this. Isn't holiness a goal for which Christians, uh, that we are to pursue, that all Christians are to pursue, but it's one that we can't actually experience this side of heaven? Hmm. Good question. See, there's a, there's a lot of the church, big C, that thinks this holiness thing is something that we just kind of maybe improve toward, but we'll really never experience it this side of heaven. Well, I, I believe the scriptures give us a very different understanding of holiness, of righteousness, of sanctification, whatever whatever label you want to put on it. Yes, holiness is a goal, but it's an attainable goal, at least in motive and desire, right here, right now, not, not just in heaven. God commanded you and me to be holy. We, we looked at this last week. The Old and New Testaments, all the way through, he said, you are to be holy because I am holy. Not just in heaven, but now. This is not something that is, is an apple that's held out in front of us that will never quite reach the sight of heaven. No, no, no. God doesn't do, God, he doesn't work that way. There's a, there's a passage, let me turn to it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is what Paul says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. I won't get into what it means to be blameless at this point. We'll, we'll do that a little bit later. But, but isn't it interesting that he said he'll keep you blameless until he comes back? Not you'll be blameless when he comes back. <laughs> and, and then he says in verse 24, God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. This is not just some future goal. This is something that God wants for you and me to walk in, to enjoy, to live in, like a fish lives in water, right here, right now. You see, holiness 
in Scripture, Old and New Testament, is what I call optimistic. Now let me describe what I mean by that. I'm not going to get political, even though I'm using the most hot political potato that there is right now. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. I believe that he right now has a very personal relationship with the Lord. And I believe that because I have a close friend. Well, I wouldn't call him close friend. We are uh, respectful acquaintances. He is, uh, happens to be the uh, one of the pastors emeritus of my home church in San Diego, Dr. Jim Garlow. And Jim was part of a... Uh, uh, of a group of pastors from all over the country that uh, President Trump has invited several times, the most recent was last week, to come to the White House and pray for him very specifically. Okay. But do you remember a few years ago, Donald Trump, way pre-president, uh, had a TV show. Yeah. Remember what the TV show was? The Apprentice. I, I must admit, I really got into it <laughs> because uh, I like to figure out why people do what they do, and it always amazes me how stupid people are. <laughs> well, uh, Donald Trump, he made a statement. You remember the, the way the, the show was, uh, was formulated was that... Um, each of these apprentices would be given a task, a business task to accomplish. They would be evaluated all along the way, and then and uh, one at a time they would be fired. You remember? You're fired. Well, one of the guys he fired, it was very interesting, and this has always stuck me, his stuck with me, his statement. Uh, because you remember he would he would make his proclamation and then the apprentices would leave and then he would talk with the other two judges remember and they would explain why they made their decisions and uh, uh, he fired this guy everybody left the three are discussing afterwards and I forget who the other two were at the time but they they said Mr. Trump, that really surprised me. This is, a, this is a good guy. He made incredible progress coming up through this, the, the, uh, the challenge that we had presented to him. And uh, Trump's statement was this. It was the opposite of optimistic. He said, you've got to understand, people never really change. Never heard anyone say it that strongly before, but that's exactly what he said. I fired him because even though it may appear as though he's gotten better, people never really change. I wonder how President Trump would countenance that statement now. But you see, it's very... It's very tempting, even in the church, 
Big C Church, all of those who claim the name of Christ, to be very skeptical about so-and-so really changing. Or even more personally ourselves. Because, and I'm not going to get into the depths of doctrine here with you, there are two doctrinal schools of thought here. One of them basically says that you and I will sin, will continue to willfully sin every day of our lives until heaven. And uh, there's really nothing you can do about that. I don't agree with that. I don't think that holiness, what God requires, and what he wants to enable in us, agrees with that. I believe that the scripture teaches us, because holiness is optimistic, that what God wants to do in us, he wants to do now, not just in heaven. I appreciated our worship this morning so much. Uh, Joe and I really don't do much other than he gets my message outlined, but I think he even has, generally he has the uh, the worship that uh, we're going to enjoy that morning developed even before he sees my message outline. So it's really the Holy Spirit who's melding all this together, and I've experienced this time and time again through the years. But this morning, there were two major emphases. I don't know if you caught it. Number one was the cross. What happened at the cross? Jesus paid the penalty for my sin for years. He made it possible for me to be forgiven. And oh, aren't we glad about that? Whoa. It wouldn't be worth getting up in the morning without that reality. But it didn't stop there. You see, holiness sees the cross as the beginning of God's grace. And the empty tomb as the goal (coughs) of God's grace. Right here, right now. What happened to the empty tomb? Jesus defeated sin that was trying to take him down, that killed him physically. (coughs) And he defeated death. He, he, He declared that if I'm here, and I think we will be at, uh, at Easter, we'll look at the fact that on Easter, all of the rules changed. Because up to that point, death was final. Yeah, some people came back to life. They were healed. Uh, Jesus healed several. Uh, Elisha healed several in the Old Testament, brought them back to life. But they all died again. The rules changed. At Easter, death no longer has the final say. Sin no longer has the final say. Holiness is optimistic. Holiness looks at the worst of the worst of the worst in me and in you and says, God can change that right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
my chains are gone. <laughs> Do you remember singing that just a moment ago? My chains are gone. I don't have to do that anymore. Is that where you're living today? Or are, you, are you as a Christian and you know that, that, that you have been saved from your sin and that you're going to heaven one day, but do you still feel trapped? The God who wants to make you holy wants to make you holy right now. Not just in heaven. Now, it won't be perfectly accomplished because you and I will still be physical beings with broken brains <coughs> and broken spirits. But holiness is positive. There is no force in all of the universe that can change a human heart but God. And that's exactly what He wants to do. There is no behavioral, psychological, spiritual chain that binds you that His Holy Spirit can't and won't break right now. Not just in heaven. Y'all are way too quiet. I should get a big amen. It's reality. Last question for today. How then do we become holy? Well, we're going to spend the next several weeks dealing with this, but let me give you a very thumbnail sketch at this point. We become holy, we become Christ-like through what the Bible calls sanctification. It's a theological term. Again, one of those religious words that you don't really hear anywhere else <coughs> in church. What in the world does it mean? We usually say, well, it means to be set apart for holy purposes. That's a good Sunday school answer, and that's true but it barely scratches the surface of what we're dealing with here. The term sanctification describes everything that God does in us to make us more like Jesus. Sanctification begins when we say yes to God's offer of forgiveness and reconciliation and, and adoption. Theologically, that's called initial sanctification. That's that very first experience of God's unconditional love and grace. And we know that we're forgiven for the first time in our lives. But then sanctification progresses. Progresses as we go in our ability to trust God. Do you realize you need to grow in your ability to trust God right now? I don't care how long you've walked with Him. Some of you may have walked with Him 
and you have experienced, been experiencing living in this holiness issue like a fish lives in water for decades. But we can always learn how to trust it more completely. Think about when you, if, if you've been married, think about when you first got married. <laughs> you were sure that you knew everything there was to know about that man or that woman. <laughs> and everything was hunky-dory, wasn't it? I mean, oh, the, the, the world was your oyster, I tell you what. And that lasted for... All day. All day. Whoa! Good for you, Blender. <laughs> the reality is every one of us found out sooner or later some much sooner than later you, you really didn't know that person you really didn't know Connie and I I shared with you last week we're 49 and a half years into this thing. And we're still learning stuff about each other. And I'm not exaggerating. That's, that's truth. In our relationship with God, there are so many factors that enter into our ability to trust Him. It's especially difficult to trust God for those... <laughs> who had a less than ideal father, dad. Because in reality, our dads are the first God that we know. I know that's getting all psychological on you, but I can't tell you how many times I've dealt with folks whose dads were either absent, they were gone, or they were unpleasable, or you can walk it right down the list. And they have a terrible time really trusting God with everything. It's part of it. There are so many other things that enter into it. But the reality is, until God says, it's over there, dude. <laughs> Time to step into my presence and into eternity. Until he says that, his will is always for you and me to learn how to trust Him more completely. Right now. Right here. Theologically, that's called progressive sanctification. Progressively, you're getting closer and closer and more intimate and more obedient and more honest and more authentic in your relationship with God. That's progressive sanctification, if you will. This is part of the journey of holiness. Usually, not always, and I, I'm, as I say, after the first of the year, I'm even going to draw you a picture of this, okay? And we're going to walk right through it. It's not that cut and dry, but I think it'll, it'll give you an, a, a much better idea of what the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish here in us. 
but at some point, we come to a point where we get tired of the power struggle between God and us. It's not that we're not Christians. It's not that we even doubt our salvation. We just begin to realize I'm constantly butting heads with him. And you know in your head, that's just stupid. I mean, who goes up against God? Come on. But we do it all the time. And what he wants to do is bring us to a point of another one of those almost exclusively church terms. Consecration. Full. Unconditional. Consecration of ourselves to him. Declaring that the war is over. Declaring that power struggles will end before they begin. Sometimes that's called entire sanctification. I don't really like that term because it implies that it's a, it's a finished deal. <laughs> no, it's not finished. It, ironically, perhaps... Uh, 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 it, we can get more completely fully consecrated all the time depending on how much more we learn about him and, and so then even progressive sanctification continues until God calls us home wants us to live in that kind of intimacy with him right now. Not just in heaven. Remember I talked about Pastor Ed Bailey last week. Now he'd leave. He'd leave Sunday mornings at times and he'd hear my message and, and it wasn't that he disagreed with what I was saying, but something in it kind of broke his heart and he would say, John, as Christians, so often we live so far beneath our privilege. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is because we don't trust Him enough. <laughs> okay, we'll keep going. And... Uh, uh, I, I I shared with my, my prayer partners this morning, I have to be careful. This matter of holiness, of righteousness, of sanctification is so all-encompassing. It is so important for what you and I experience right here and right now. It, I have to be careful for it not to become the focal point of every message that I preach. Any portion of Scripture, Old or New Testament, in my opinion, focuses right back on this issue of my relationship with God right here, right now, and yours. Uh, again, I ask you the question, what do you want? Do you want just a nice, comfortable relationship with God that works on Sunday mornings and when you put on your plastic smile and you hug everybody? 
or, or do you want <coughs> the kind of relationship that is moment by moment, breath by breath, heartbeat by heartbeat? That's what he wants. That's what he created. Father, would you forgive us, your children, by faith in Jesus? We who have proclaimed our trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins, would you forgive us for way too often stopping way too short of your best for us? And no matter how long we have walked with you, no matter how closely, how intimately, how righteously we have walked with you and with those around us, would you create in us a hunger that recognizes you always have something more for us? Not just in heaven, but right here, right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being so intimately involved with us. Would you continue to make us holy? Paul told us, because you have commanded it, you will make it possible. In fact, you will accomplish it in us. It is not just a decision on our part. No, this is something that only you can do in us. Would you increase our desire for that level of relationship with you that increases and grows deeper every day? Don't let us be satisfied with anything less. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together. Gentlemen, if you'll be ready to receive the offering.